Well, as we're turning in our Bible today to 1 Peter chapter 3, what we're going to be looking at is the last of three sermons. I want to remind you, for the last two weeks, we've been looking at God's design for biblical submission in the home. And as you look at 1 Peter 3, 7, you'll notice it begins with the words, you husbands likewise, or some of your translations may say, in the same way. So what this is telling us is as Peter is giving this instruction in verse 7, he's building on everything that we've seen previously. And so if you've missed either of those two messages, I encourage you to go online uh, and look at what was said in the last two messages because all of this is taken together. Well, let's look now at what we find in 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way, as with the weaker vessels since she is a woman. And grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, to understand what we're looking at here, we need to first define what the word understand means. It's actually a compound word. You'll see on the screen the prefix is kata, which means according, and nosin means knowledge. So it literally means according to knowledge. This word understanding means according to knowledge. So what it's telling us, men, is as husbands, it's not enough to empathize with your wife. You also have to know her. You have to understand who she is. Now, what that means, men, is that as husbands, you are to go to school and learn who your wife is. You are to figure out who she is and how to meet her needs. Now, ladies, you may be thinking, well, that's not really fair, Roger. The men get one verse Uh, And we've been talking about this for two weeks, and it seems like the guys are getting off easy here. Now, if that's what you're thinking, let me read you something that a woman named Catherine Beamer wrote. She says, a man is a person who, if a woman says, never mind, I'll do it myself, he lets her. A woman is a person who, who says, never mind, I'll do it myself, and he lets her, she gets mad. A man is a person who, if a woman says, never mind, I'll do it myself, and he lets her, and she gets mad, he says, now what are you mad about? And a woman is a person who, if she says, never mind, I'll do it myself, and he lets her, and she gets mad, and he says, now what are you mad about? She says, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Uh, Gary Smalley comes at it a different direction in his book called The Hidden Value of a Man. And in it, he says, suppose I find myself lost in a major American city. And ladies, as you know, men hate asking for directions. So he says, uh, if I pull over to the curb and I roll down the car window and I ask a dignified middle-aged man if he can give me some directions. Now, instead of answering, the man looks at me and then he keeps walking down the sidewalk without saying anything. Frustrated, I pull forward a little and I ask him again, But this time, he just stops, brushes a a piece of lint off his lapel, and he doesn't say a thing. By this time, Smalley says, I'm getting angry, and I begin to raise my voice. What's wrong with you, mister? Can't you hear? Why aren't you treating me like this? In case you haven't realized it, I'm a stranger in your city. I'm lost, and I just need a few simple answers. Now, are you going to help me or not? This time, he looks at me. He gives a little bow, he opens his mouth, and he replies in polite Italian. (laughs) Then it dawns on me, this guy doesn't speak a word of English. 
Now, Smalley says, at this point, I asked the ladies in the audience, how many of you think it would be insensitive of me to stay angry with the man for not answering my questions and helping me find my way? And he says, typically, 99% of the ladies will raise their hand. And he concludes by saying, it would be insensitive for me to remain angry with this person because he doesn't speak my language. And ladies, sometimes that's what happens with your husbands. Now, men, before you start poking your wife and saying, that's right, honey, uh, men, I want to remind you the instruction God gives to us is for men today. If your wife doesn't speak your language, it says you are to learn to speak hers. You are to go to school. You are to become bilingual. You are to learn what it is that your wife is saying when she tries to communicate with you. Now, if you're a guy who says, I don't want to do that, Roger, because it takes a lot of time and effort. Men, how many of you have hobbies that take a lot of time and effort? How many of you like to golf, go hunting, go fishing, work on your car, work with wood? And how much time are you spending uh, getting better at those things? I want you to think about whatever your passion is and then answer this question. Do you put as much time and effort into trying to understand your wife as you do with the other things you're pursuing? There was a recent study that was done where they asked husbands and wives, how much time in a week do you spend in actual communication, not just kind of passing stuff, but really sitting down and talking with one another? How much time in a week do you think the average couple spends? It's 37 minutes. Not 37 minutes a day, 37 minutes in a week. And this is why so many couples, when you hit the empty nest stage, where the kids are out of the house, where you're no longer swirling around their schedule, talking about their activities, what's going on in the week, that so many couples find themselves uh, looking at a stranger when the kids are gone. Because we haven't invested the time in knowing who our spouse is. Men, how well would you say you know your wife? If I were to say, I want you to take out a piece of paper and take a test at this moment, I'm not going to have you do that, but mentally do this. If you were to uh, answer some simple questions like, what is your wife's favorite color? Could you write it down? What is your wife's favorite food? What are the things your wife likes to do? If I asked you to sing her favorite song, could you do it? Do you even know what the song is, much less all the words to her favorite song? Men, if you don't know the answers, then ask her. On your way home, ask her these questions. When you uh, are sitting around the table tonight, ask her. And, and don't just stop with these questions. Uh, ask her other questions like, honey, what are your greatest concerns? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What do you want this year, the next year, the next five years of our marriage to look like? Ask and keep asking her questions. You know, men, most of us did this when we were dating our wives, didn't we? We wanted to know everything about her. We wanted to know her likes, her dreams, her hopes. So why have so many of us stopped? And you're thinking, well, because I want her. I, I married her. Well, that doesn't mean you stop dating your wife. So schedule a night out 
Get a babysitter for the kids if they're still at that age. If they're old enough to take care of themselves, uh, take your wife out on a date and ask her these type of questions. Get to know your wife again. You know, if you're thinking, well, Roger, I, I know my wife. Well, men, maybe you do, but uh, what I found in 33 years of marriage is uh, it's a moving target. The wife I knew 30 years ago is not the wife I knew 20 years ago or 10 years ago or maybe even the wife I knew last week. Uh, one of the things I used to do for my wife a lot is bring her flowers. And I would bring home flowers and, you know, arrange them or put them on the table or, you know, surprise her in some way. And, and, and one day my wife said to me, um, you know, Roger, I, I love that you try to show me your love by bringing me flowers and things. She said, but they're expensive and they just die after a little while. So you, you don't need to do that anymore. And I stifled the urge to say yes, you know. <laughs> but... Um, a couple of months passed by, and one day, Kim said to me, she said, why don't you give me flowers anymore? <laughs> and I said, because uh, you told me not to? And she said, well, I didn't mean ever again. <laughs> Men, don't you wish there was a manual for, for this, this stuff? Uh, you know, it's like when I'm getting ready to run an errand, and Kim says, uh, do you want to take my car? And I say, no, I'll drive the one I usually drive. And what I learned is when Kim says, do you want to take my car? What she's saying is it needs gas. Uh, or maybe it could be washed and cleaned or there's this little noise it's making. And if you drive it, uh, I think you'll figure it out and you'll know what to do. Now, I used to think, why don't you just say that? And you know what I found was she was just saying that. But it was in her language. And, and it's my job to learn how she communicates and to learn to speak her language. Now, ladies, let me just say you can help us out here a little. Uh, we are not mind readers. And if you're in a conversation, I don't know if your home is like this, men and women, but Kim and I will be in a conversation and we're talking about something. And the next thing I know, she's, she's changed lanes and is two topics over. And I think we're still over here. So, ladies, just turn the blinker on every now and then. Uh, let us know you're moving on to a new subject so we can, you know, c continue with you in the journey of this conversation. Now, men, as we live with our wives according to knowledge, this is not just about learning to adjust to her. What this means is we are to anticipate. We are to anticipate her needs. I want to remind you, last week we talked about the way God designed us. And, and ladies, you'll remember I said that the number one need that a man has is for respect. And then we mentioned that the, the number one need for a woman is to feel loved and to feel secure. Those are the top needs that women say, love and security. Now, when men hear the word love, uh, many of their minds immediately go to lovemaking. Right? Oh, sex. I, I, I've got that. Yeah. And, and men, women have a physical need, just like men do, for intimacy in a marriage. But the difference is men and women are wired differently. As men, we're like microwaves, right? Your, your wife looks at you, she gives you a hug, and ding, you're ready. But guys, girls are like a slow-bake oven. They have to be preheated. Lovemaking begins sometimes days in advance. 
It's with every kind word you say. It's what little acts of service you do for your wife. These are the things that make her uh, more responsive and wanting to be intimate with you. And so, again, we have to understand God has wired men and women differently. Now, when it comes to security, wives need to feel protected. And it's not just physically, guys. It's what we talked about last couple of sermons. Uh, We talked about finances. Remember that and how you're not to make decisions uh, separate from your wife, that you're to include her so she knows where you're going and why and feels safe and secure. It's the same thing in knowing her hopes and dreams. Um, Now, one of the things Peter says here is that Wives are the weaker vessel. And that, that's one of those words in this verse that makes some women mad. Uh, I've heard a number of ladies say, let's see a guy give birth to a baby. I want to see a man go through labor. If it were up to men, uh, every family would have one kid and that would be it, right? And so ladies will say, why does God say uh, we're weaker? And I want you to notice something about this word weaker that I've put up there. See that ER ending in red? What that means is men are weak as well. This is a comparison word. This is saying men and women uh, are different. Again, God who has made us is, is saying that there is a difference between the two. It's a divine acknowledgement that he's made us differently. It doesn't slam women. This isn't saying that, that women are inferior intellectually or that they are not uh, somehow substandard spiritually, that they're not on the same level. I want to I remind you this last part of this verse is God says our wives are fellow heirs of the grace of life. When God describes women as being weaker here, the Greek word that is used describes a physical weakness. And aside from a few rare exceptions, most women are physically not as strong as men. Again, that doesn't mean women are helpless, but it does highlight the need to treat our wives differently with the level of honor and care they are due. I want to illustrate it this way. I've I've got two cups here. Now, this is one of the cups. uh, I love to go backpacking, and so this is a, a metal cup. You can't really do much damage to this. And, you know, it doesn't matter how you treat it. It's got dents in it. Uh, after I've used it, sometimes you'll just take sand or gravel to, to wash out whatever you've cooked or, or had in your cup. And, and, you know, the way I treat this cup is, doesn't require a whole lot of, you know, forethought or care. You can throw it in the backpack when I get home. You throw it in the cupboard. It doesn't matter really what you're going to do with it. Now, I have another cup here. And this is a china cup from my wedding. And so uh, should I bang it on the pulpit? Well, if I want to live with my wife in an understanding manner, and I understand what will happen to me if I break this cup, I'm not going to do that, right? I I don't treat the two cups the same. Now, they have the same function. I can put liquid in both of them. I can drink out of both of them. But as I told you, it doesn't matter if I wash this in a river with rocks, uh, but when it comes to this, you don't even put that in the dishwasher, right? You hand wash it, you dry it, you put it, you know, out, and, and then when it goes back in, it's not shoved in the cupboard. There's a china cabinet where you put it in and you, you put it on display. And it's not, again, that this is, is inferior to this. It's just that you recognize they're different and you, you treat them differently. And this is what Peter is telling us here. 
It says we are to see our wives as special. It says to show her honor. This word for honor literally means to treat as precious. It denotes a very high value and esteem. And what we're doing, men, is saying we recognize the value and esteem that our wives are due. As you look at the way you treat your wife, do your actions show that you highly value and esteem her? I mentioned earlier it says that wives are fellow heirs of the grace of life. I mean, you need to remember how valuable God thought your wife was, that he was willing to go to the cross and give his life to die for your wife. And we talked in earlier sermons where in Ephesians 5.25, we're told as men, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is the value that your wife has. Would you say you love your wife enough to die for her? Men, do you love your wife enough to die for her? Now, most men would say, oh, absolutely, Roger. If we were walking down the street and an assailant came out with a knife or a gun or something, I would throw myself in front of the bullet. I would fight that guy to protect my wife. And, and I don't doubt that you probably would uh, give your life for your wife in that moment. But men, where the really hard part comes is not where we cash it all in at once, but instead where we die to our wives daily. It's like taking $100,000, going to the bank and saying, I'm going to withdraw $100,000. And the, the teller says, well, the biggest bill I've got are hundreds for you. And they give you this pile of $100,000 and $100 bills. And you go to God and you push that pile of money across the table and you say, here it is, God. I'm giving my life for my wife. I'm giving it all. And then God pushes the money back across the table to us. And he says, I want you to go back to the bank. And I want you to take that stack of hundreds. And I want you to cash it back in for coins. Get quarters, dimes, nickels, pennies. And he says, men, I want you to go through life dying daily for your wife. I want you to spend your life 25 cents at a time. Where when you're coming home from work and you're tired and you have no more words to use and, and you just want to sit quietly, but your wife needs to process her day and she wants to share with you what's going on, that you, you cash it in 25 cents at a time. It's when your kids are sick and rather than having your spouse, your wife up at night with the kids, you say, you sleep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit up with the sick kids. It's where you cash it in five cents at a time when she says, let's watch that chick flick and you wanted to watch some war movie and you're like, okay, I'll watch the, the chick flick with you. It's pennies at a time where you serve your wife by saying, instead of, hey, honey, could you go get me something to drink or eat while you're sitting on the couch? You say, why don't you sit here and I'm going to get up and I'm going to serve you instead. As we give our life for our wives, men, it isn't glorious we would all like to just cash it in all at once, go out in a blaze of glory and prove our love. But God says, prove it daily, dying to yourself, serving your wife, being that servant leader that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. It's done in those little acts of love, little bits over time, over the long haul. And when we fail to do those things, not only does our relationship with our wife suffer, men, but God warns us here. He says, men, even your fellowship, your relationship with me can suffer. 
Because God says in 1 Peter 3, 7, that when we don't love our wives and serve them as we should, it says our prayers will be hindered. Now, the Greek word used here for hinder literally means to cut or interrupt. It means to make a road impassable or to have an obstacle thrown in the way. The picture we have here is of a road where there's something blocking the way and you can't get through. If you think of the old phone lines where you had the, the phones that hung on the wall, uh, it's, it's the picture of somebody cutting the cord where you can put the phone to your ear, but you, you're not hearing anything, and anything you say isn't getting through. And what God's saying is, men, when you talk to me in prayer, asking me to do things, uh, why would you want me to listen to you when you won't listen to me and love your wives as Christ loved the church? In Matthew 5.23-24, through we're told, If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. And the same principle applies here, where if there's something in your relationship with your spouse where you're, you're going to God and you realize, I'm angry with my wife. I'm angry with my husband. God says, instead of continuing on, uh, go and fix it. Go clear the air. Go remove the obstacle that may be hindering uh, the roadway. You know, while we're talking about our spouses in prayer here, men, let me ask you, how many of you as husbands are spending time praying with your wife? How many of you pray with your wife? We've been talking about how we're to learn about our wives. And men, when you pray with your wife, not only are you fulfilling your role to be the spiritual leader in the home, but you're also going to learn an awful lot about your wife. Because the most intimate thing you can ever do with your spouse is to pray. You hear their hopes. You hear their dreams. You hear their fears. Praying together will increase your level of intimacy with each other and with the Lord. And another benefit of praying together is what we were just talking about. If there's some kind of an obstacle in your marriage, if you're angry with your spouse, uh, praying together will help remove that anger. Uh, Try holding your spouse's hand when you're mad at them and you're talking to God in prayer. It doesn't work. It will make you uh, deal with the issue. It will make you confess your sins to one another and to God. So prayer is a perfect place to start with what we've been talking about today. I want to share an illustration uh, to close out what we're talking about. It's it's a little bit long, but I think is well worth listening to. Uh, It's written by a lady named Patricia McGreer. And in it, she shows what can happen if men will understand who their wives are and then follow through by treating them with the honor and value they possess. So Patricia uh, writes this, this story, and she says, When I sailed to Kinawata, an island in the Pacific, I took along a notebook. And after I got back, it was filled with descriptions of flora and fauna, native customs and costumes. But the only note that still interests me is the one that says, Johnny Lingo gave eight cows to Sarita's father. Every time I see a woman belittling her husband, or a wife withering under her husband's scorn. I want to say to them, you should know why Johnny Lingo paid eight cows for his wife. Now, Johnny Lingo wasn't exactly his name. That's what Shinken, the owner of the guest house there 
uh, called people. He was from Chicago, and he liked to Americanize the names, she says. Uh, Johnny was a man who was mentioned by many people and many connections. If I wanted to spend a few days on the neighboring island of Nurabandi, Johnny Lingo could put me up. If I wanted to fish, he could show me where the biting was best. If it was pearls that I sought, he would bring me the best buys and at the best price. The people of Kinawata all spoke highly of Johnny Lingo. Yet when they spoke, they smiled, and the smiles were slightly mocking. Get Johnny Lingo to help you find what you want and let him do the bargaining advice, Shinkin. Johnny knows how to make a deal. Johnny Lingo, a boy seated nearby, hooted the name and rocked with laughter. Hey, what goes on, I demanded. Everybody tells me to get in touch with Johnny Lingo, and then they laugh. Would you let me in on the joke? Oh, the people like to laugh, Shinkin said. Johnny's the best and the brightest, the strongest man in the islands, and for his age, the richest. Well, if he's all that you say, what is there to laugh about, I asked. Well, only one thing. Five months ago at Fall Festival, Johnny came to Kinawata, and he found himself a wife. He paid her father eight cows. Now, Patricia says, uh, I knew enough about the customs of the island to be impressed. Two or three cows would buy a fare to middle and wife, four or five a highly satisfactory one. Eight cows, I said. She must have had beauty that takes your breath away. Well, she's not ugly, he conceded, and he smiled a little. But the kindest could only call Sarita plain. Sam Kru, her father, was afraid she'd be left on his hands. But then he got eight cows for her. Isn't that extraordinary? It's never been paid before, he said. Yet you call Johnny's wife plain. Oh, I said it would be kindest to call her plain. She was skinny. She walked with her shoulders hunched, her head ducked. She was scared of her own shadow. Well, I said, I guess there's just no accounting for love. True enough, agreed Shinkin. And that's why the villagers grin when they talk about Johnny. They get a special satisfaction from the fact that the sharpest trader in the islands was bested by dull old Sam Kru. But how? No one knows, Shinkin said, and everyone wonders. All the cousins were urging Sam to ask for three cows and hold out for two until he was sure Johnny would at least pay one. Then Johnny came to Sam Kru and he said, Father of Sarita, I offer eight cows for your daughter. Eight cows, I murmured. I'd like to meet this Johnny Lingo. Well, I wanted fish, I wanted pearls. So the next afternoon, I beached my boat at Nurabandi. And I noticed as I asked for directions to Johnny's house that his name brought no sly smile to the lips of his fellow Nurabandians. And when I met the slim, serious young man, he welcomed me with grace into his home. And I was glad that from his own people, he had respect unmingled with mockery. We sat in his house and talked. Then he asked, you come from Kinawata? Yes, I said. Do they speak of me on the island? Oh, they say there's nothing that I might want that you can't get. He smiled gently and said, my wife is from Kinawata. Yes, I've heard. They speak of her? Well, a little. What do they say, he asked me. And I stammered, uh, well, just, uh, his question caught me off balance. They told me you were married at festival time. Nothing more, he asked, the 
curve of his smile and a lift of his brow told me he knew there must be more. They also say the marriage settlement was eight cows. I paused and said, they wonder why. They asked that. His eyes lighted with pleasure. Everyone in Kinawata knows about the eight cows, he asked. I nodded, yes. And in Nurabandi, he said, everyone knows it too. His chest expanded with satisfaction. Always and forever, when they speak of marriage settlements, it will be remembered that Johnny Lingo paid eight cows for Sarita. So that's the answer, I thought. Vanity. And then I saw her. I watched her enter the room to place flowers on the table. She stood still for a moment to smile at the young man beside me. And then she swiftly went out again. She was the most beautiful woman I had ever seen. The lift of her shoulders, the tilt of her chin, the sparkle of her eyes, all spelled a pride to which no one could deny her the right. I turned back to Johnny Lingo and I found him looking at me. You admire her, he said. She's, she's glorious. But she's not Sarita from Kinawata, I said. Oh, there's only one Sarita. Perhaps she doesn't look the way they say she looked in Kinawata. She doesn't. I heard she was homely. They all make fun of you because you let yourself be cheated by Sam Keru. Oh, do you think eight cows were too many? He said with a slight smile. No, but how can she be so different? Do you ever think, he asked, what it must mean to a woman to know that her husband settled on the lowest price for which she can be bought? And then later, when the women talk, they boast of what their husbands paid for them. One says four cows, maybe six. How does she feel, the woman who was sold for one or two? This could not happen to my Sarita. Then you did this just to make your wife happy, I asked. Oh, I wanted Sarita to be happy, yes, but I wanted more than that. You said that she is different, and that's true. Many things can change a woman. Things that happen on the inside, things that happen on the outside. But the thing that matters most is what she thinks about herself. In Kinawata, Sarita believed she was worth nothing. Now she knows she is worth more than any other woman in all of the islands. Then you wanted, I stammered, I wanted to marry Sarita. I loved her and no other woman. But, I said, I was close to understanding. But, he finished softly, I wanted an eight-cow wife. Men, do you want an eight-cow wife? The way you treat your wife, the things you say to her, the way you serve her, the way you fulfill what we find in 1 Peter 3, 7 will help your wife to be all that God wants her to be. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Will you join me, please, as we close in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us. Love that we remember this week as we remember you coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday coming to give your life as a ransom, a sacrifice, what we will celebrate and remember on Good Friday as you went to the cross to pay that penalty of death we all owed for our sins. 
a gift of eternal life that was purchased with your precious life as your blood was shed to wash away our sins. We thank you, God, that you have shown us what true love and sacrifice looks like. For us as men, Lord, you call on us to be husbands who love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Lord God, I ask for myself and all the other men who are present and listening online that we would be men who serve and sacrifice for our wives. Lord God, would you help us all as believers to love and serve one another? Would you help us, Lord, to follow your example? 